I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show, your weekly podcast from the Philadelphia Daily News, Philadelphia Inquirer, and Philly.com. I am David Murphy of the Philadelphia Daily News, and I am riding solo, but only for a brief moment, because we have Inquirer Sixers beat writer Keith Pompey coming up for a little State of the Ben talk, a 20-minute discussion that Mike Sielski and I have already had with Keith. We, we recorded it earlier, The Magic of the Internet. Um, and digital audio it's an interesting conversation Uh, we talked to Keith about what it was like to cover Ben as a person as a player um, you know as a rehabber and and we're also going to get into some of the the summer league discussion as to whether he will be playing whether he should be playing and where the Sixers will be looking um, in this year's lottery uh, with Ben Simmons allegedly slotted to play point guard for Brett Brown Uh, Keith has some as always, some valuable insight. We're also going to talk to Inquirer Phillies beat writer Matt Breen, who was in Chicago at the moment. Um, this is the week of May 2nd, and we were recording on a Tuesday. And the Phillies happen to be coming off a big win over the Cubs. That, thanks to an hour and a half rain delay, went into the wee small hours of the Midwestern morning. Uh, but as always, this will be a timeless podcast that should be able to stand up for the next week or so. We're going to get you all caught up on uh, on Phillies and Sixers, first Phillies, then Sixers, and maybe some shenanigans after that. First, though, let's bring in Matt Breen from Chicago. And here he is live from the Marriott. What Marriott are you staying in, Matt? The Spring Hill Suite on beautiful Dearborn Avenue in downtown Chicago. You, uh, They should hire you to do their radio commercials. You sold me. They should. I'd be pretty good. I've actually, my Philly accent. I've actually been there. Chicago's a great town. Yeah, I was actually here for the Eagles Bears game with my friends. We stayed at the Renaissance, I mean the Residence, which is like connected in the same building. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, Chicago's a great town, and the Phillies are coming off. Um, well, since none of us actually stayed up to watch the game, again we're recording this on a Tuesday, right? Today's Tuesday, is that correct? Uh, yes. All right. I never really know. Um, I'm technically on vacation this week. Aren't you always? Ha-ha, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so anyway, Aaron Altier is one name that I, I wanted to bounce off you. Um, and then I'll, obviously the closer situation. But why don't you catch us up on what happened on Monday night against the Cubs? Because, I mean, it was a pretty big win for these guys, wasn't it? It was. They they beat the world champion Chicago Cubs in a non-titled match. And... uh <laughs> You know, they just jumped all over them. The first and the second inning, it was raining. It was like it was really pouring, and uh, I thought the game was going to get suspended or postponed or delayed at least. And you know, it, it didn't. Luckily for the Phillies, Tommy Joseph had a home run. He was in a, stuck in a pretty bad slump all through April, so he started May with a home run his first at bat. Uh, Velasquez pitched five innings. Um, you know, he got trouble ran the trouble with high pitch count for the norm, hmm. but. You know, pitched well in those five innings besides the pitch count. So, you know, he's just he's getting there, I think. I think he's, you know, eventually going to figure it out. I know if we talked about that before. And Aaron Altair looked, you know, great. Drove in three runs, had a pair of doubles, and 
you know, a couple of really nice catches in left field, which is – that's the big thing for me. I, I know he's hitting really well, but, you know, defensively, I just – I don't see how you can – you know, with the way the other two guys play defense in the corners, I don't see how Altair – you know, can come out of it, come can come out once Howie Kendrick comes back. Well, that was uh, that was actually the question I was going to ask. Yeah, I, I still got the little beat writer nose for the story. Um, you do. I was going to ask you, Howie Kendrick. A, when is he coming back? And B, when he does come back, wh- who's starting in the outfield? Because Odubel Herrera is clearly your center fielder. Um, I mean, Michael Saunders hasn't exactly been tearing it up. What, what, what's your? Uh, who are your corners? So first Kendrick is back I'm going to say you know within the next two weeks it was three it was three three weeks and that was you know two weeks ago but we what, what was his injury again he, he's with the team an oblique which okay you know an injury can really that can you know stretch out uh, no pun intended no no not at all maybe you got to stretch it out you know what I mean that's what I'm saying so maybe yeah so say he comes back a week from now I I keep Altair in either left or right field and platoon Howie Kendrick and Michael Saunders and, you know, whatever corner you want to put them in. If I don't know if Kendrick's more comfortable on the left or, you know, where he, he, he can play right and Saunders is more comfortable just in the right field. So you just platoon them. I know you're paying them a lot of money, but. You're also paying Clay Buckles a lot of money. To the future of the team to find out what you have in Aaron Altair in left field or right field, wherever you put him. And what you have at Tommy Joseph at first base, because that's one of the other options that you could play Kendrick at right. first. But, I mean, I'd rather see Tommy Joseph at first base than Howie Kendrick, because odds are Howie Kendrick is not part of this team after the season. But Tommy Joseph, you know, you know, the case is still out for him, and I think you have to really find out him and Altair and see what you have. I'm going to ask you, I'll ask you now, but you're going to you're gonna not answer until after I read Aaron Altier's stat line but did you ask Pete McCannon last night this same question what has he said about Altier who is hitting 313 with a 377 on base percentage and 563 slugging percentage um, in his first 18 games of the season 26 year old who heading into last year before he broke it or before he injured his wrist um, you know last year was supposed to be the year of Aaron Altair and that was kind of the big training or uh, the big spring training storyline. He was coming off a year in which he, uh, you know, appeared in 39 games, hit five home runs, 20 extra base hits, and in, in 137 at bats, 827 of an OPS. He was 24 years old. Everybody was wondering, hey, maybe, maybe finally Aaron Altour has kind of figured it figured it out. And then struggled with the wrist injury. Last year as a 25 year old, finally came back and and really looked nothing like the player. He was the year before that. OPS just 587 in 227 plate appearances. Had just 10 extra base hits in 198 at-bats after having 20 in 137 the year before. So, heading into this season, um, you know, we none of us talked about Aaron Altier all that much. Uh, you know, at least not during the two weeks that I was down there in spring training. Um and I think that's fair to say because they did bring in Michael Saunders and Howie Kendrick and, and hand them starting jobs, even though you, um, you know, as you said, they're not going to be part of this thing, you know, in a couple of years. So I guess the long, long, long question made long or short question made long is what were the Phillies expecting out of Aaron Altier this season? Um, has he changed their expectations at all in the first 18 games? And, and how has Pete McCannon 
approaching this young man um, from this point forward? Yeah, so I, I think they, you know, the reason they acquired the two veteran corner outfielders was because of, like you said, with the, the wrist injury and the recovery it was going to take from that. You know, he didn't look, you know, excellent when he came, when he did come back last season. And rightfully so, that was going to take time. And maybe that time would have stretched into this season as well as it has with other guys that had that same injury. So, you know, they kind of protected themselves by signing uh, Saunders and trading for Kendrick. And you, like you said, we didn't really talk a lot about Aaron Altair in spring training because he was de-, de facto the fourth outfielder. But he was definitely going to make the team. There was just there was no drama there. He was the fourth outfielder, and that was it. And, and it was, I was thinking, yeah, it's kind of a good thing because it puts him in a spot where he can work his way back with the injury. He doesn't – he's not going to have to play every day. And because I, I and I thought this recovery would take a little bit longer, but here you know he's playing every day and it's all of a sudden his last forty at bats I wrote today like you know they almost match the stats you read, batting three twenty five with the nine thirty six OPS since Kendrick went to the DL and yeah yeah I, I asked Pete after the game I said you know you know he's really making it tough isn't he you know with with his not only with his bat but his glove as well and you know when Kendrick comes back you're gonna have to, how are you gonna be able to keep him in the lineup and he said yeah he's making it difficult I have to try and keep him in the lineup he's playing well so you know they're not they, they know that there's a, a situation to handle you know in the next week or two weeks and I, I would be shocked to see you know the answer to that problem is to put all terrorists before the outfielder again so, I mean, the interesting thing with Altair is he, he hits righties better than lefties, um, or at least he has in his major league career thus far. Um, and this season, he's 10 for 30 with four extra base hits, um, you know, against righties and, you know, five for 18 with four extra base hits in eight, uh, against lefties. Um, but it, but the splits were markedly, markedly better against righties in his first year. Um, has he been like that? in the minors um is that just a small sample size thing uh, but he, he definitely doesn't have the the uh, you know he's not like john mayberry with the drastic platoon splits where you would say um you know yeah, maybe automatically let's platoon the guy right exactly yeah i i, I think if i would rather go for small sample size this early i mean maybe at the end of the year we're saying you know remember that conversation we had in may and you know he, he can't hit you know, he should be in a platoon, but I think right now you got to keep running them out there, you know, righties and lefties and, and see what happens. He, um, do you think the, so, so he's kind of a guy, I always bring up John Mayberry because John Mayberry had a big year in like a similar kind of sample size and everybody got all, all excited about him and he kind of ended up being who he was. He was who he was, as they say, um, and I guess I just kind of assumed this year, Altier, while not the same player, would, would be kind of that role. Your fourth outfielder, good defender, can play you know all three outfield positions, um, can give you some right-handed pop against the lefty. But you know, at 26 years old, I was kind of just expecting that would be his lot in life. Um, do you think he has a has he you know changed the narrative about him? Or does he have the chance to um, kind of play his way back into the, you know, future core conversation? Yeah, he definitely has a chance. Um, you know, the narrative really hasn't been written because, you know, he hasn't really played that much. He's only been in the majors, you know, altogether. You know, take away the injury and the re- recovery time from that, probably about a, a full season, you know, if you've added everything together. And I just think, 
you know, there's no right, – right now, you know, if he has a starting job, that's the rest of the season really as a starting outfielder. So that's a chance to prove, hey, I'm a piece going forward or, you know what, I am just a fourth outfielder. And then you have Roman Quinn and Nick Williams at AAA that are eventually going to be in this conversation as well with O'Double. And then, you know, you go – obviously you go lower than that, Mickey Muniak's coming and Cornelius Randolph and guys like that. But I think Altair in the next – for the next, you know – two to three years has a chance to really carve himself a role. And that's what the rest of the season is all about. What's the word on Nick Williams so far? I'm looking at his numbers right now. Again, we're, we're, this is, this is uh 22 games into the Lehigh Valley season. He's hitting 276 with a 309 on base percentage, 447 slugging percentage. Him and Alfaro, man, still, still couldn't, still couldn't draw a walk. If you gave him crayons, uh, get it. <laughs> I don't know what a, I do. I don't know what a walk would look like. It's, it's kind of abstract. But anyway, twenty three strikeouts and maybe two, like the walk sign on the yeah, it could be, walk. could be. Um, twenty three strikeouts, two walks in eighty two plate appearances for Nicky Williams. Um, is he, you know, the 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 narrative last year was that it was a disappointing season for him. That he was going to put all that behind him. Has he done that? Um, take us behind the numbers a little bit. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's definitely having a much better year than last year, and there's no. Uh, you know, news coming out of Allentown about him being benched or anything like that. So that that's a positive. And he, he, like, you know, I haven't talked to him since spring training, and you know, he had a great camp. He I'd talk about defense. You know, he he plays, you know, both outfield spots great. And um, I would be shocked to not see him in the majors this year. You know, the only way he doesn't is if he has a you know disaster season and it looks like he's off to a good start. Alfaro, you know, the same thing. I, but, you know, I think Joe wrote about it last week that he's probably not going to get to the majors this year because it's his last option year. And, you know, they're going to do everything they can this season to get him ready. So next season he's, you know, the starting catcher or the backup catcher or whatever. Mm. I would I would assume that he opens the 2018 season in the majors on opening day. So you, but you don't think but, it would be helpful to get him up here before then? No, I just – I don't think it – I think, you know, they really, once you, because once he's up next year, he can't be optioned back down, so. No, but he could I be just, up, but he could be optioned. Yeah, but they don't want to be shuffling him back and forth. I got like you. Like they did last year for a little bit. And, uh, I don't know, I just, I think he stays at AAA the whole year. Maybe he comes up, you know, the last few weeks of the season, like he did again last year. He came up twice. But I think it's really important for him to stay with Dusty Watson, who's, you know, a former catcher, great instructor down at AAA. And uh, I think that's that's the the goal is just to get him ready, and then next season he's your guy. Yeah, I mean the interesting thing with Williams is back to Williams now. I mean he's already got 600 plate appearances at at Triple I mean at some point, I mean I know he's like only 23 old, only 23 years old, and not necessarily um, you know old for his grade, so to say. But but what does he still have to show this team before? Like what? How is this outfield situation going to shake out? Um, I mean, Roman Quinn right now is struggling. It looks like at 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 Lehigh Valley, um, but they've got a lot of names there that they at some point they need to find out about. Um, you know, how long are Michael Michael Saunders and and you know Howie Kendrick in the conversation up here? You know, what does Nick Williams has to do have to do, or what, what has to happen at the big league level for Nick Williams um, to get his first shot? Um, and then now you have Altier as well. Like, what? What? what do you, how do you expect this whole thing to play out over the next over the summer? Yeah, I would say in August, you know, move past the trade deadline, and 
everything. I think we're looking at Aaron Altair, Dubal Herrera, Nick Williams, and Roman Quinn as you know being your four outfielders. And you you know you, if it's however Kendrick and Saunders get moved, I don't I'm not sure what you know the tra- like if it's they're going to be able to trade these guys or whatever. But I think you need to clear space and, and playing time really just you know to spend the second half of the season on. On yeah, like you know, you hear all about McQueen for so long, and 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 Roman Quinn even I know he's not having you know a great year at AAA, but looked pretty good in the majors last year when he came up in September. And it was dangerous, mm-hmm. a game changer on the base pass. So I think you need to get those two guys up in the majors, give Altair more playing time, keep Oduble playing, you know, in center field, and then you kind of just have a rotating around them in right and left field with your young potential. What what is Alfaro? need the most you know what is what does he need to work on I mean when you say you know Dusty Wathen's an instructor could he catch a major league game right now or you know is it is his glove ahead of his bat yeah, he did he did catch in the majors in September right I right mean, I know yeah he was up, and I'm pretty sure he he did get actually get behind the plate right but, but I mean like could he could he the thing is yeah his could he sure I'm, I'm sure he could but but that's the thing is that that is like it's it like fine-tuning catcher's thing catcher okay. you know things that people don't think about the time it takes for him to get the ball out of his glove to throw to second base like, okay you know he has a great arm but now they have to accentuate that even more and that was one thing dusty Watson was talking about in spring training was you know pop time or you know these all these metrics they have and and you know these fine-tuning things that, that we don't understand we, you know we just kind of watch the catcher but then you got to realize he, you have to learn how to you know to get that ball out of your glove faster and everything matters, you know, every tenth of a second. And then of course, you know, the art of game calling and, mm. you know, how to approach batters and stuff like that, which he's going to, you know, learn even more at AAA. They call their own games and, uh, his, his bat right now, you know, if he was a first baseman or a right fielder, he'd probably be in the majors right now, mm. but you know, to catch the defensive position, you know, that, and you know, that's what I think it's worth it. He's a young guy with a, hell of a lot of potential uh coach john mclaren is a catching coach up here compared his arm to pudge rodriguez last spring and so you know that's a pretty good comparison to have so Mm -hmm. you know if you can really take your time and get the most out of that guy i think it's worth it yeah i guess the reason i guess the curious thing is because for whatever reason cameron rupp does not seem to be held in very high esteem by the organization with regards to his game calling um i mean not that they hate the guy but but it's not like that's necessarily a strong suit of his, um, or so it would seem. Um, just kind of reading the smoke that comes comes out is that is that unfair to say? No, I think that's that's pretty accurate. Uh, game calling, um, defense as a whole, really. Yeah. I, I think. I mean, he's serviceable, but he, I don't think he is. Uh, you know, really knocking down the doors to be the long term option there. He's kind of a placeholder, even. You know, for you know Andrew Knapp, is, I'm sure going to be getting more playing time as the season progresses. As he gets more comfortable defensively, and then Alfaro, obviously next season, it's going to be probably his job to lose. Well, I guess that was my question then. So, like, it's not like he's like if Alfaro, if you don't lose anything by having Alfaro behind the plate defensively, uh, you know, is there? I guess the question fans would ask is why not? Why not just have him up here learning all that stuff? Well, I mean, I guess it's better to learn it in AAA than the you know struggle in the majors and right. confidence-wise. I, you know, I think he's, he's you're going to learn at AAA. You're not, you know, 
if he gets eaten alive in the majors, it's not going to be much of a learning experience. So I think it, it just makes sense that we'll let him, you know, learn the AAA. You have Cameron Rupp and Andrew Knapp up here. So you have, you have, you know, right now for the short term, you have an answer at catcher. It's not like they're, you know, desperate for catching help, but long-term they are. And that's where you know you got to think long term to season with a guy like that. All right, well let's talk about Nap too because this this is still this is puzzled me a bit. Um, you know, going back to spring training, I think we talked about it. But like his last game out, he goes three for four with a double and a home run, um, and he hasn't played since then. And that's kind of been the story of his season so far: um, three days off, two days off, uh, five days off, three days off. I mean, he he only has. 23 at bats this year you know yeah doesn't this guy need to play regularly at some point if if you know Cameron Rupp isn't your catcher of the future I don't know I mean it, kind of share with me what what the you know two-year plan for Andrew Knapp is I think that time's definitely coming it looked like it was really close like you said when he went through four on Saturday um Pete said something after the game about uh you know, we need, yeah, we need to get him more playing time or, you know, I'll just leave it. He was like, I'll just leave it at that. You know, which sounded to me like Cameron Rupp starting on Sunday, they're facing a left-handed pitcher and that, you know, he's kind of keeping that mm. away from lefty, lefty pitchers, which makes but, sense, you know? Yeah, it, it does. But I'm thinking, you know, if Rupp goes down 0 for four again and, you know, one for four or whatever, um, you know, this is going to be Nap's chance to get, get his playing time and really, you know, you can't you can't judge a guy on like you said, twenty three at bats playing once or twice a week, you know, sparingly. And uh but then, you know, Rupp goes out and rips two doubles. Right. Um, you know, has a three hit day, first three hit day of the year, and it's like, all right, well maybe he's turned the corner. So the plan was already in Chicago. They're facing I think they faced two or three lefties this series was really to give Rupp those games. Okay. So you'll see Nap in one of those games. Probably not tonight. They're facing John Lester, who's a lefty. And uh, you'll, you'll see Nap, I'm sure, in one of these games out here and then this weekend. But I think it's a fluid situation. I, I think, you know, we're a month in the season. Nap has shown a little bit of promise when, when he does actually get a chance to play. And I'd be shocked. That, like, you know, again, second half of the season, if, if Rupp doesn't turn the corner and he's still st- stuck in a slump, that you know, Nap's not your everyday guy by then, if not before. I guess the one, the the kind of the tricky variable um, is that the Phillies are actually playing halfway decent right now, and you know they are, at least as of the recording of this podcast, they're right where Pete McCann said he hoped they would be at 500. Um, but from afar, this team, I mean, they got off to a very good start last year, probably even better than this. Um, but they didn't, but but it was almost in wins only. Whereas this year they actually look yeah. like a, a half they actually look like a competent they look like a competent lineup at least you know what I'm saying um, they do they they def, not that there's not like an easy out in the lineup but if you look at it like it's not you know last year you had so many weak spots at exactly. like this time of the year and it's like there's not that there's not like an automatic out really you know and no. one to eight it's actually a pretty solid lineup for you know a 500 team and the pitching has been excellent. You know the second best starting rotation, and like based on ERA in the first in the first month, which is pretty wild. Well, it's interesting and, though, because uh, like if I were to say what needs more help right now, like what's going to be a bigger hindrance to them playing 500 ball the rest of the year, 
I would say the starting rotation would be more concern, more of a concern for me. Agree or yeah, disagree? Yeah, that's why I really surprised when I saw that. That you know, it's a second best in the National League. Sorry, but still impressive. Yeah, and, but I mean, like you're looking at like yeah, really. I was just really surprised, and but and that's with the month that you know we talk all the time about Vince Velasquez. You know, had a pretty subpar month, and they're still keeping that together. Jeremy Hellickson's like pitching out of his mind right now. Um, Nola was still was hurt with all those. Um, you know, for almost a whole month, uh, you've you've inserted two rookies into that rotation, in the, or not two rookies, but Zach Eflin and rookie Nick Pavetta into the rotation that month, and they're still holding it together. So, I mean, yeah, there is. You you would say that's the area you need some help, but with all that said, they're still, you know, up there and then league leaders. Yeah, I mean, it, it it definitely helps when Cesar Hernandez is doing what he's doing. Um, I mean, he's been. Just absolutely remarkable. He's, the, I mean, he's the big difference. Him and Freddie Galvis are the the big differences in this lineup. You know, um, he actually said he was listening to the podcast and he <laughs> talk about the guys in the minor league and said, you know what, I got to turn it on. He's like, you know what, I'm going to reward Dave Murphy with his faith in me. Yeah, he writes. Yeah, I mean, he is. Is there any truth to the rumor that he is, he, he writes the, Scott Kingery's initials on his cleats before each game? No, he actually just puts a block of cheese on his like under his hat for high for cheese. You. Oh wow, that that makes me feel really good. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's amazing. I, I guess if we had told you that Michael Frank was hit was uh you know hitting two hundred seven with a six forty eight OPS, you might yeah, you might wonder. Um, he looks like he's starting to press a little bit. Is that is that uh, what what, what have you seen out of the guy? A little bit. Uh, Franco looks like he just seems to be um, he swing he seems to be swinging very hard. Does that make sense or no? Yeah. Like, is yeah, he? How's his? How's his? Doesn't look comfortable. No, like, that's probably the best. He need, first of all, he either needs to swing less hard or get a bigger helmet because it's just not a good look when you're constantly swinging yourself out of your batting helmet. Yeah, well, it hasn't happened that much this year. So I swear, every time I see him swing, swing through a ball. Yeah, I think it happened. It's happened twice. It's never happened last year, like five hundred times. What has Pete said so about maybe him? Maybe he either got a batting helmet or Matt Therese did say that was one of his goals was to stop the batting helmet from falling off when he takes these crazy swings. <laughs> so maybe he's taking less of those crazy swings. That could and, be, but uh, but he had a great week and then up and out and then when they got to LA he kind of struggled a little bit. So maybe he's you know, he was finding himself and all that work they were put in spring training was gonna pay off with, you know, focusing, not changing his mindset but and I mean, not changing his approach, but maybe change his mindset a little bit just to try to hit the ball up the middle mm-hmm. so not everything's pull. You can, you know, kind of go opposite field a little bit. Well, he – I mean, his his strikeouts are down. So you do have that. And his walk yeah. and his walks are up, um, both yep. both pretty significantly. Um, is this just a case of, uh, you know, balls finding gloves and, and thus us making a bigger deal out of you – know, like the numbers are going to come at some point? Um, yeah, somebody was saying that his – I haven't looked it up, but his balls bad in the play, the, the bit stat was yeah, you know, really bad for him. So, I mean, th- that could be what you're talking about and just, you know, it's bad luck. You know, and eventually your hits are going to start dropping. Yeah. So abs- I, I think he's he's better. I, we we can agree that he's better than what his stats are now. And oh, absolutely. Shocked. You know, a month from now if we're still talking about – you know, God, Franco's been 205 or whatever. I mean, if you look at it, I'm looking at, I actually have his baseball reference page caught up right now. And if you were to just look at his, I, I'm a big fan of the ratio stats. Um, like, tell me, tell me, 
how every guy's played appearance, what percentage of, of his played appearances end in X. Um, and really, uh, you know, the, the only changes there are encouraging changes. His uh, strikeout percentage, which was uh, 15.5% of plate appearances in 2015 and 2016, 16.8%, has dropped by four percentage points. So he's striking out only 12.5% of his plate appearances now. That's a strikeout every about 7.1 at-bats versus a strikeout every about 5.6 um, for his career. And then his walk rate again is, is is up, and I think that's a huge thing. Um, but it's like his home run percentage; he's still homering at, at at the same rate once every twenty three at bats, which is pretty much par for his course. Um, you know, ground ball, fly ball, line drive. You know, everything is pretty much static. He's just missing some singles, I think, is is what it comes down to. Yeah, and so eventually, that you know, you would you think that turn, turns around, but absolutely, you know, the most important part is like you said about the walks and the strikeouts. Um, but is he, have you, have you talked to him? Is he, is he pressing at all? Or is he, is, is he pretty confident? And he said, I talked to him on Friday in LA and he said, um, he was having a great week. So and I asked him, you know, how, you know, it must feel good to have, you know, a week like this after you ever, and he, he says he, he wasn't thinking about his struggle. And this is what he says. So who knows if it's true, but you know, he wasn't thinking about his struggles. He just was going out there and play, putting everything, all that behind him. And then I asked him about the work he put in the camp, and because that's what he just said, he thought that's what was paying off was all that spring training stuff. And he says in batting practice, every day, you know, he carries that with him. Still, you know, thinks middle away, doesn't try to pull anything in BP. He says, "You come watch my batting practice. I won't pull, pull anything." And uh, you know, he said eventually that's gonna, you know, it's gonna take time. It obviously wasn't a hit in the first month. You know, all that is, you know, his average can skyrocket, but maybe that. Uh, you know, comes out as, as the, you know, in the second month this season, as long as his, again, like you said, good times, the walks and strikeouts are down. He's not, you know, his approach is solid. Now it's all about, you know, finding some holes. So what do you, I mean, do you think, do you have any more confidence that this Phillies team can, can maintain a 500 clip for the rest of the season? Like, what do you? Uh... Yeah, that, that was my, uh, my prediction before the year was 500. Um, you know, I, I think they got bet. They, before the season, I think they were better than they were last year. Mm-hmm. Especially, you know, this, this team, you know, if you look at May 1st, Philly's roster in 2017 versus 2016, you know, I think you'd say, yeah, the 2017 team was, is markedly better. But uh, I, I think that's probably the is the ceiling is 500. Yeah, I mean, people... And I would be, uh, like Michael Jordan said, the roof is the ceiling. <laughs> and I would, I would put them around 500. Is that the... Or is I, it, I think it's realistic. The guy in Rocky? No, Michael Jordan, the Hall of Fame basketball player. Oh, I, I, thought, I thought you were talking about the actor. I didn't realize there was a Michael Jordan I mean, basketball player. the guy that designed, like, sneakers, I think. Dude, I used to have, like, five Michael Jordan posters on my bedroom wall. I was the biggest Michael, really? I was the biggest Michael Jordan fan out there. Um, lastly. I had one, a Dream Team poster. You probably had the Space Jam poster. No, I wish. I love that movie. Um, what's the concern level with, with my boy, Hector Neris? <laughs> he needs to talk to you. You're the lifeline. I know. I know. I I uh. He, I will give him all the respect in the world. He gets shelled Saturday night. Three, you know, gives up three straight homers. Just a ridiculous night. And afterwards, we go down the clubhouse, and, and you would guess a guy like that, you're gonna have to wait 20 minutes for mm-hmm. him to come out. He was standing there dressed, ready to talk. 
and said, you know, it's baseball. Um, it's the game or the game's the game, which is, I think is a quote from uh, that HBO show in Baltimore. The Wire? The Wire, yeah. Someone tweeted that sounds like a Wire quote. It does, it does sound like a Wire like quote. One character does say that. The game and is the game. And he said, um, he says, he says, look at me. I'm here. My face, my head's always up. My head's never down. And I was like, you know what? You talk about the closer mentality and all this stuff people always talk about. That's pretty good closer mentality. Guy just gets shelled. Here he is talking about it, standing up for himself and saying, I'll be all right. Well, so I, I don't think there's it's much to worry about. It's just, but baseball wise, he's throwing his fastball way more than he did last season. Okay. They want the fastball to actually be a secondary pitch to splitter. They talk to him on Sunday morning about it and. You know, compare. You combine the mentality with throwing the splitter again. As long as the splitter, you know, is still the same pitch as it was last year, I think he's fine. You know what? Here, here's the other thing, and I, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna go to bat for my boy a little bit here. First of all, I should probably preface this with a question: Is 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 Pete sold on on Hector Neris through thick and thin now, or are we gonna like keep on going back and forth here? Well, it's hard to tell because he doesn't. He never actually technically named Nares the closer. Okay. So, All right, well that, you know, he's not tied to him. Then I'll stop you right there. Because I, I think that's half of the problem. It's like just this whole notion that and, – and it's our fault, but the, but it's partially our fault. But, like, the managers play into it. Like, my God, like a, a closer is just a guy pitching an inning like any other reliever, you know? And, like, of course the guy's going to let it get into your head. Get, uh, of course the guy's going to get into his head, you know, that something's different now that he's out there in the ninth. If like you're you're always talking about it, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, for for yeah. a team that hasn't finished 500 since 2012, we've spent way more time talking about the closer this year than anybody ever should. I mean, they've had three they've had three different closers already in the first month of the season, and like every time it's the biggest thing in the world. And like, I don't know. I just think the I just I just think it's kind of a silly artificial construction. Uh, like if I was yeah, a manager, I wouldn't have a clue. What's that? A guy blows one save, like Benoit and Aaron. Exactly. Like, but, all right, see you later. But that's why I think it's kind of Pete's fault. Like, like the Benoit thing. Like, I don't, I don't know that. And again, I'm not there. Like from afar, I cringed a little bit when he, when he, when he gave that hook to Benoit right away. Um, not because of Benoit or Jean Marc Gomez, but more for Naris because it's like. This is two closers now that have been pulled after one blown save, you know, for a guy. Yeah. And, you know, Hector, like, Naris seems like a guy that cares a lot, you know? Like, I, I could just see that, like, I could see him all of a sudden feeling like he's got a different job now that he's got the ninth inning, especially, you know, since, you know, quote-unquote, these two people lost, quote-unquote, lost their job after just one blown save. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, it just seems like a weird way yeah. to go about things. The Gomez thing yeah, I understand. It was more the Benoit thing that I, I don't necessarily understand. Yeah, Gomez was really just once the season started, it was a matter of time. Everyone knew that was going to happen. But I mean, I, I was surprised. Benoit gave up a homer on the Bryce Harper. Like, you know, I know. I don't. I can't. And I know he grew the fastball right down the plate, but still, you know, you give up a homer on the best hitter in baseball. So, I mean, that's going to happen. And then I would have liked to see him get a you know a little bit more leash. And same with Naris. I think Naris, if Naris is your closer, I know he blew an awful save, but I would you know ride with him and. Yeah, I agree. Again, that's a young guy that you really have to find out what you have. Benoit and Gomez aren't going to be with a team past the season. Naris likely will be, so see what you have there with him. I mean, the other thing with Naris is ever since ever since he whatever got the first call in the ninth inning, I mean, he's pitched a ton. 
um, going into that L.A. Dodgers game. And he pitched a ton last year, too. Uh, let's see. His first save opportunity was April 20th. And between April 20th – and then that Dodgers game was on April 29th. And that Dodgers game was his sixth appearance in those – in that stretch. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not it's not an atypical workload for a closer necessarily. But, like, for a guy who – you know, I mean, you're talking about two back-to-backs – um, and really no extended break in there. And uh, I know you just wonder. I mean, because it was, it was a question going into the season. I mean, Nair is coming off, you know, his workload from last year. And now he, now that he's allowed in his last five outings, again, heading into Tuesday, May 2nd, um, he's allowed runs in four of his last five. He's allowed, um, let's see, five, seven, 11, 13 base runners um, in those six outings. You know, I, I don't know. It's, it's, I think he needs, I think, I think this is one of those stretches where McCann needs to like give him a vote of confidence and, and, and keep going with him. I agree with you, I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And, and the good thing is that, you know, you could keep going with them and you could it would also give him a little bit of a break, like you're talking about workload, because last year they were throwing, you know, him out there every night because you didn't have anybody else. Right. But now Ramos, Pat Nisha, you know, Benoit again is actually pitching pretty well this season. Yeah, it's amazing. And I think the back end of the bullpen is, I know it's like ERA and stats are pretty terrible for the first month. But take away, you know, Gomez, just don't count him because he's a pretty much a mop-up guy now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he always was away, a mop-up guy. Yeah, I mean, well, he's a closer last year. Take away. No, but he was a mop-up guy. Uh, you called it closer. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Take away Saturday night because that was just you know crazy, and then take away the Bryce Harper game and and just those three things. Everything those guys have actually been pretty solid. Besides the you know their their worst night, take that away, and they've been pretty good. And I I think that the rest of the season you're not going to be like oh my god, you know the bullpen blew it again. Yeah, I would like to think so. I uh, I would definitely like to think so. Um. Yeah, they uh they've surprised me so far. I think that they're 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 a far more watchable team. You know, like even last year when they were above 500 at this point or, or right around 500, like I still couldn't watch the games on the nights that I wasn't actually down there because it's just like, like you said, how many times can I watch, you know, P seven? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Where, where this well, year, like, like you're getting to the ballpark and you got to write an early story. And like, what the heck am I going to write about today? <laughs> I mean, now it's like you actually have things to write about. I don't have to talk about, you know, defensive runs saved and, you know, just dig up some fake story. You know, just like, oh, fake God, news. Something to get through the day. Um, yeah, fake news. So what, what are you doing? There's, like, there's legitimate stuff to – there's interest in this team. Yeah. They're definitely way more interesting. There's a lot more to write about. Um, lastly, let's talk about the important stuff. What are you going to do in Chicago um, while you're there? Chicago, one of the great road cities in all of sports. And first of all, what was Gelb thinking, taking that trip off and giving it to you? And uh, yeah, I think he he might. I forget. I think he did. He have a wedding this weekend or something. Because it is it is weird. I, I'm like, am I really here? Did I really go to LA to Gelb Hagen really used, do that to me? Hagen used to uh, like, or uh, Ryan Lawrence would always give me like Cincinnati and St. Louis when I when I. Yeah, uh, thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. Now, Gelb's a great team, man. I love Gelb. I will put that out there for the record. And uh, I've been to Chicago, you know, a lot. Just, like, coming here as a kid to see the Phillies or um, with my friends to see the Eagles play. And uh, I've actually covered them 
last year here too. So I, like I've done like all the sightseeing and stuff like that, but I need to, the Broad Street run Sunday. Oh, and I really need to like get ready. So oh, you're running. Today is a, yeah, I, I was doing great. Like, Literally, best shape of my best shape of the last like three years. You're like everybody in spring training, best and shape then, of your life. Yeah, and then the last three weeks have just been like terrible. So I'm, I got to get back today. I'm, I, and, and of course, that stupid connector for your headphones on the iPhone Seven. I lost that in LA. Uh-huh. So I got to go buy that today. No, you know what you got to do. So go, that's an, go buy, go buy Bluetooth a, a nice Bluetooth head headset. And I'm gonna, you know what? I'm gonna. Maybe I'm, we can enlist these. Maybe we can enlist these guys as as a sponsor because I'm. I guess it would be stupid because I'm going to give them publicity anyway here. But Jaybird, the Jaybird, they are like a hundred. They're one hundred thirty bucks, but they're worth the investment. Um, Jaybird. I don't have one hundred thirty bucks to spend. Dude, on you headphones. come on. So I'm going to buy the nine dollar connector. You just that's my cheap ten dollar headband. That's because you just bought a fence, right? I we did. Did you buy a fence? The fence is coming. Mm-hmm. Are you excited? I can't wait. It's actually going to look pretty sweet. I mean, I'll admit that, but uh, Tara scheduled it. I don't know when it's going to happen. Sometime soon. Matt Breen did not come on our podcast last week because he was waiting for a fence. Um, I came on and talked about the fence. Yeah, but then you you called out last week. Uh, I I did. The week before I called out, then I came on and talked about the fence, and now we're talking about the fence. All right. So is it like a wooden? I mean, is it whitewashed? Is it... Cast iron, White vinyl, vinyl, security, like privacy fence. They call it. It's like plastic, like heavy duty plastic. Okay. It's really nice, and it, you know, the backyard's like a, you know, uh, kind of like a rectangle, like three fourths of a rectangle, and it's gonna like every yard in Philadelphia. Cover that, and yeah, six foot high fence. It's and then the then they're gonna have a backyard redone. We'll have you over for a barbecue. Nice, thanks, it'll man. Look pretty nice. It'll look pretty nice. Um, well, I'm excited for you. So, so is Gelb replacing you on Sunday, man? Yes, Gelb will be there this weekend. Uh, where are they this weekend? They're home. They're playing the Nationals. Mm. See, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right on top of things. <laughs> is your vacation over by then? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's not really a vacation. It's more like I had to take the week. Is it a staycation? It's a steak. It's a Davecation. <laughs> a cheesecation? Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, man. Well, I'll let you go. What are you, are you getting? Are you getting anything good to eat? Um, deep dish pizza. I, had, I, I would lay off I that. Deep dish pizza Ugh. yesterday. It's like um, eating yeah, a bowling ball. I, yeah, I know, but you got half it. But I, I really have to buckle down. I looked up like two salad places um, <laughs> downtown. I'm gonna have one for lunch. Bring one to the game, and I gotta go run. So uh, hopefully, it's getting to crunch time. I, I've done brochure like seven times, so I know I can do it. I just want to be able to enjoy it and do it well. So today's the big day. Is it is it sunny in Chicago? It's cold, but it's I brought I, I prepared for it. I brought like you know a hoodie to run in and um and something else to wear under that. So I'll, I'll be all right. Is the game gonna uh, as long as it's not raining? I is don't it, care. Yeah. Is there any rain in the forecast? No rain. No rain the rest of the week. Awesome. So yeah, yesterday was the one day and they got through it, so that was good. All right, man. We'll have to have you on, and you can fill us in on the. Uh, on the uh, Broad Street Run, you should do like a Facebook Live or something so we can all watch. <laughs> the whole time I'm gonna periscope it. All right, you can answer questions while you're while you're running through yeah. <laughs> North Philly. All right, man. See ya. I'm gonna do that. Thanks, man. See you, Dave. We're back. Dave Murphy and Mike Sealski joined by Sixers beat writer.
Keith Pompey of the Philadelphia Inquirer. We're going to talk about the Sixers, obviously. It'd be kind of weird if we brought you in here and talked about something else, right? What was your take on Penguins Capitals last night, Keith? Riveting. <laughs> <laughs> Riveting. Talk to your, talk to yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was a good go. game. <laughs> <laughs> nice fake. Who won? Uh, Capitals in overtime, three to two. Almost. Uh, almost uh, choked at the end there, but they. Uh, they came back in 02. If I were going to watch a hockey game. That's the one you want to watch? That would, yeah. that would be as close as – in fact, I think I put it on for a second last night during the rain delay in the Phillies <laughs> game. But just because I forgot that I was actually looking for the NBA game. Right. <laughs> but what did Barry Melrose say after the game? Because, you know, he's a guy – see, I tell you, I do follow some hockey. <laughs> but he's a guy who said that the Capitals, like deep down inside, they know they can't beat the Penguins. Yeah. So they're always, you know, going to lose these close ones. And the fact that they won – I wonder what Barry has to say. <laughs> That's a good question. So what's um, that series at? 1-1? One, 2-1. One? Two, one. Two, one. All right. So, Keith, the question I asked you walking over here, mm-hmm. it's a big question I, I'm curious about. Is Ben Simmons going to play Summer League? No, he's – I mean, the people cannot, they, they the, haven't the even the come out and said it. you shaking your head. Well, no, that's why I said <laughs> – you know, there hasn't been an announcement, um, but I don't think he will – um, but that's just me, you know. Uh, you know, they're, they're saying that they're going to, you know, evaluate him. They're going to see how he advances in his rehab. But I don't think that he's going to play. I mean, that's just my, my hunch. What's he been like to deal with in as much as you've dealt with him? Uh, and, and what kind of persona or personality do you think people are going to see from him once he starts to – become a regular part of the team. Well, let's set that up first because there's okay. a clip of his end-of-the-year press conference that made some significant rounds on social media, uh, and he did not – Endear himself. I, I'm trying to think of a word. It rhymes with Rick, but I can't really think of a PG version. Stick. He came across as a, a kind of a jerk. Um, were you there for that? Yeah, I was there. Um, and what what's the deal? Because, well, I mean, that's – you know, the, the thing, the deal is that he's – you know, a young guy, um, I think that he may even been getting some wrong advice. And and what I mean by that is, you know, it was the coach up job was very obvious. I mean, it was one of those things beforehand, you know, he was supposed to talk to us at a certain time and then all of a sudden the PR guy comes and gets him and then they go in the room and then he comes back out. And, you know, you could take it as if there was questions that they said stay away from, right? And we were asking the questions. And it got to a point where he didn't want to answer it. And, and what was again, the question that he – Well, like one – I mean, they were kind of like, you know, obvious questions, but questions that they're not saying, so they don't want him right. to say. I got you. Like, for instance, what are you doing in your rehab? Because, you know, people are saying that he's been cleared to play five on five, right? But what the Sixers are saying, we're going to take it along slowly. So the question is, is – why are you going to take it along slowly if he's been cleared to play five on five? Now, if they don't want him to play summer league, but we know he's playing five on five two months before summer league, it doesn't look good. Right, so whenever you ask the questions, it's kind of like one of those things he doesn't want to answer. Now, and the thing about him, you know, that wasn't a good day for him in regards to, you know, people – uh, media members looking in and, and as far as like people seeing the clip and li- on TV and listening to it on the radio 
But the one thing I will say is, you know, he is 20 years old. Secondly, you know, he's a basketball player. This is a, a, the time that he wanted to have, you know, this year. It was taken away from him. You know, so I don't think that, you know, one bad day of two interviews we had with him, they're the only mm-hmm. two we had, yeah. you know, one bad day, it, we should judge him. Because, you know, at first when, when, when Joel Embiid, you know, when Joel Embiid didn't play, people were saying negative things about him. You know, and then all of a sudden he becomes the media darling, this you know, the social mm-hmm. media king. So I think we just have to give, you know, this guy a little break. Yeah, the Embiid thing's interesting just because, like, I mean, we're as columnists, we kind of watch – we're kind of watching the Sixers from afar. Too. Like, I didn't even know, for instance, until I read it that day after the interview we were talking about that Simmons had only talked once before. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, was that his call or the team's call? It's or? the team's call. What yeah. they do is they, you know – it's weird. Like, if a guy – the Sixers have a rule, and they used to say it was an NBA rule. It's not an NBA rule. The NBA called me and said, no, this isn't our rule. It's the Sixers. They have a rule. Until a guy plays on five-on-five scrimmages, right, he is unavailable to the media. Now, he can speak one time, and he spoke – he didn't speak during oh, media day. No. No, no. I think he – yeah, he spoke during the first media day because okay. – but so there's three times. He spoke during media day, and then – after he had the surgery, right, okay. the first game of the season he spoke. Mm-hmm. But that was it. So that's the Sixers rule. And, yeah. again, I think that that rule, if we really want to be honest, that's a rule that, that kind of messed Ben Simmons up. And what I mean by that is, you know, you have to go to Instagram. If you go to Instagram, you see that this guy has a great personality. You see it on Twitter with his raising the cats. But – he was basically told to stay away from the media for a year. Yeah. So, like, when he would walk past us, there was very little eye contact because he was doing as he was told. So then what happens is whenever he has his press conference and, you know, things don't go well and he gets a little upset, then everyone's saying, well, look at this guy. He's a prima donna. But they created that. Yeah. If they would allowed him to talk and allowed us to get to know him, it probably wouldn't have been that way. It's interesting. It is. I mean, it's 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 one of the kind of odd contradictions that, to me that's been at the core of the Sixers these last few years, which is that you've had, generally speaking, a really bad basketball team, while at the same time having some players on the team who are young, who have a lot of potential and upside, who, if you get a chance to interact with them, have pretty good personalities, and they've completely shut that down. Um, you know, they shut it down for the most part with Embiid until he started playing. They shut it down with Simmons. You know, they really have clamped down on one of the things that I think fans of teams like about following a pro team, which is the idea that the players let them in, you know, that you come along for the ride. Um, they do that to a certain extent, but they don't do it with respect to letting the players kind of drive that, it mm-hmm. seems. Yeah. Whoa. Trying to get these, I think Tannenwall was in here messing yeah. with this board. Um, yeah, it's almost like it would be. It's almost, in a sense, it makes sense because these guys do have an outlet towards those fans, right. and I don't think necessarily fans care what these guys have to say. Um, again, like I didn't even realize Ben Simmons had only talked once before. That being said, I think what they don't understand is how the relationship with the media can affect the way an interview goes. And, you know, 
you're in a position where if Ben Simmons hasn't earned your trust, it's tough to take his him at his word. Right. The Sixers at their word, and I think it's kind of been the Sixers' problem where they've had this, and the Phillies had this a little bit too. They just had, you know, and it kind of bit them a little bit when they started going when things started going mm-hmm. bad. Uh, the Sixers are picking an interesting time to yeah. experiment <laughs> with a strategy like this because they're not they don't have. Right, political and, capital built up. Right, but. and and what ended up happening during the season, you would you would talk to Brett Brown, you would talk to Brian Colangelo about the health status of let's say Joel Embiid, and then you'd get five minutes with Joel Embiid, and he would tell you something completely different yeah. from what Brett or Brian had said. And it's like it's it, it kind of it just doesn't reflect well on the organization as a whole. But I also think I agree with you. Like that's almost a you organizational Keith. Keith. I'm gest- gesturing to you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's a uh, org- it's an organizational problem. Yeah, you know, it's like an organizational public relations problem that ends up reflecting poorly on the player. But at the same time, I well, I do believe that the organization is going to try to get it right. At least I hope so, because the things that we're talking about, you know, it's not like we're in here, you know, bad mouth and the organization right. because they know is they know it as a fact. I mean, there was a lot of times, like for instance, you know. You know, we were told that Joel Embiid was day-to-day, and he says, hey, man, I was told I was going to be out three to four weeks. You know, then another thing, we were, you know, told that, you know, they didn't know anything about his meniscus, and he comes out and he says, hey, I was told I was going to be out six months, you know, initially. So it's, it's one of those things where the message isn't getting out. People were getting the wrong advice. They were trying to keep things, you know, in-house, and – nowadays stuff is hard to keep things in house. Yeah. It just is. Yeah. Because the thing is, and I believe that the Sixers know that they had a problem and, you know, you hear that there's going to be more transparency next season. And, you know, it's one of those things where they basically, they need to do it, not just for the media, but they lost the trust of most of the fans. Like when Brett Brown or Brian Colangelo or whomever comes out and says something, the fans are like looking like, you sure, bro? Exactly. So, you yeah. sure? Uh, you know, so. That's what I was trying to get at when I said, yeah. like, it affects every interview from that point it on, does. where it's like it, every Sixers story that involves an injury now is, like, couched in a way where it's like, well, this, well, this is what they say, but. You, right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think exactly right. there's. This I don't is, think it this has is to why do NFL teams and most and, and baseball teams, like, the standard operating procedure is no, don't talk about injuries, let the organization talk about it. And mm-hmm. we complain about it all the time in the media, but this is exactly why that's the thing. The problem is in the NBA, you, I don't know that, that you can control your what your players say. As You know what I'm saying? Like, Joel Embiid has no reason not to be out. You know, like, yeah. it, it's just like a different mentality where, like, you know, in a football locker room, it's just like rote, like, I, I'm not talking about injuries, don't don't talk, don't ask me about injuries. Whereas, like, in the NBA, that's not necessarily – like, Joel Embiid's clearly going to say what he thinks most – Times oh, it seems yeah, like yeah, you know what I'm saying. He I, has the power, right? right exactly. I, honestly, the players I, have the power in the NBA I, as well. I, you know, maybe this is a bridge too far, but I feel like that stretches into the strategy of the team as well. For instance, you know, we've heard Brett Brown talk about making Ben Simmons playing him at point guard. Um, do you really believe that that they're they're gonna not draft like they're gonna look more to draft a shooter in this upcoming draft because they just say Ben's gonna bring the ball up. We're gonna turn the offense completely over to him. Or are they going to like draft a point guard? Because there are a lot of point guards in this draft who are presumably going to be pretty good. 
it all depends on where where they end up in the yeah. lottery. I mean, because if you think about it, at first, you know, Brett Brown was saying, you know, this is definitely going to be our point guard. He's going to be our guy. And, you know, he's not kind of backing away from it a little bit, but he's sidestepping, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit. And what I mean by that is because what he's saying is now is, you know, I don't know what the, we're going to do in the draft. Yeah. I don't know what we're going to do in free agency. But right now, with this roster we have, you know, at this stage of the season, he is our point guard. And, and you know, so, what's interesting about that is that, uh, I'm sure you remember this, the night they drafted Simmons, Brett went out of his way to say, I am not going to play him at point guard mm-hmm. right away. Because that is, you know, I regard that as the alpha position on the floor. You know, that <laughs> I don't want him to get... You know, I don't want him to get chewed up basically as a 19, 20 year old kid by these wily veteran skilled point mm-hmm. guards around the league. So, you know, we'll find a spot for him at the small forward or power forward, play him in the four, the wing, whatever, but he's not going to be a point guard. Well, over the course of the year, that changed or seemed to change relatively quickly. And a lot of that has to do with Dario Sarge. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you look at it, you know, Dario. When when they first picked up Dario, they didn't know how good he was going to be. I mean, you know, it was one they thought he was a pro a project a mm-hmm. couple of years away, and then Dario turns out. Let's face it, in my opinion, I voted for him rookie of the year. He's going to be, the, in my opinion, he's the rookie of the year. So you know, it comes to a point where this guy has been averaging like double doubles the last two months. Do you go and say to him, "Okay, Dario, you did a great job. We know you can. You're a starter." but we have to create space for Ben Simmons. Now, Ben Simmons is the most athletic guy on the team. They say he can play five positions. That's what they say. Mm -hmm. So whereas he's a ball handler, so it's one of those things where I can see them saying, okay, we're going to try him out at point guard. And also don't, don't, don't ever think that this isn't part of the scheme too. The Sixers were struggling a lot of times when Brett used to bring up Ben Simmons. Mm. And it kind of like, okay, we lost eight games in a row now, but we got Ben Simmons coming right. next year. You know, was, they, they've been doing that for years now. So, you know, you talk about Ben, but the problem is, that, and you ask the Sixers, but what if he's not a point guard? What if he struggles on the defense? What if he if he gets stripped by the smaller guards? And then they're thinking, well, hey, he can play all five positions. Dario could stay at the four. Ben could slide down to the but three. Here's, here's my question, because, like, is this a Brett? Is this a Brett Brown thing? Not explaining it well enough, or is this us misinterpreting what he means when he says point guard? Because like, you're still gonna have a point. You're still gonna have a a ball handler on the court. I feel like, unless that's really what what Brett Brown really is saying. This guy's my true one. I mean, like, take Magic Johnson for example. Mm-hmm. Norm Nixon played 38 minutes a game for the Los Angeles Lakers. Like Magic Johnson was a ball handler, mm-hmm. but he wasn't a point guard in terms of like an. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you, all right, let's, let's so like like, like LeBron, LeBron and Kyrie is kind of what I'm saying. Okay, like you're, or no, you're James never going to have Harden, Patrick Beverly. Yes, okay. okay, but even Harden's like actually more Harden is of, of, of the three guys we mentioned is way more of a like a like you could get by with him as like like you know what I'm saying like he belongs on the perimeter bringing the ball up, whereas mm-hmm. like Ben Simmons. As you said, there's just going to be mad. Like you're, you're completely, you're doing your scheme a complete disservice if he's the only guy on the court who can handle the ball. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like we almost have to define what does Brett Brown mean when he says point guard. Well, this is what Brett Brown. Brett Brown means point guard. Well, then Brett Brown. He said. He said. Like at first, he says, "No, I'm not talking about Le- LeBron James. I am not talking about um, 
you know, a, a Greek freak who's a power forward brings it up sometimes. You know, he's talking about a Chris Paul type of guy brings it up. Now, that's what Brett Brown initially said. And then he got criticized for that because people were saying, come on, dude, you know he can't guard point guards because Brett said he was going to guard point guards. So what happens after being criticized, he changed the way he said that he was misinterpreted, but that's what he said. Okay. So what he wants now is he's saying at this particular time that – what he's going to do is he's going to bring the ball up, but he believes other teams like small forwards or power forwards are going to guard him. Okay. And then what he's going to do is on the defensive end, he's going to guard the other team's power forwards. Right. So, you know. Which but, is what makes sense. Yeah. Which, which makes which, sense. Which, and which gets to the heart of why his broken bone was such a piece of bad luck for the Sixers because these are all still open questions. Like you have no idea yet. I mean, in a worst case scenario, this was the worst case scenario. Like even if he gets hurt midway through the year, you at least have some sample size and some evidence to say, okay, he did X, but he struggled with Y. They don't have any of that now. And that leads me to my next question, which is something I've wanted to ask you, Keith, for a while. When Simmons broke his foot, you were, I think, the first person in the, in the media, whether a blogger, mainstream, however you want to define it, to say they're going to sit him the entire season. Did you come to that conclusion based on reporting, talking, working sources, just getting a sense of things around the league? Did you get that from um, just your experience around the team? How did you know at that time? This is one of the things that kind of fascinates me. I think people who read, who consume sports media sometimes think that we, you know, we pluck stuff like this out of like a fever dream or something or just off the top of our head. How did you know then or have a sense then that he was going to sit the whole year? Well, you know, talking to the sources, the sources thought that he, I mean, the guy really wanted to play. Mm -hmm. I mean, he really wanted to play. But my thing is looking at the Sixers history of resting players for an entire season, you know, Joel Embiid two years in a row, Nerlens Noel, um, and then you looked at the navicular bone. Mm -hmm. You look at a guy like a, a, a Kevin Durant, you know, who, who came back too soon, mm -hmm. you know, and he rebroke the foot. Yeah. I mean, and that's something that happens. And when you look at a guy like Ben Simmons, who, let's face it, they've been tanking for three years and they finally got the first pick. You know, he's supposed to be the messiah of basketball in Philly. So it's one of those things where – I, I mean, they would be foolish to play him. Mm -hmm. As much as they wanted to say that they that that they were thinking about it and they wanted to, you know, I, I, in the back of my mind, I knew they weren't going to play that guy because okay. if he would have re-injured his foot, it would only set him back further, and then you would have had a Joel Embiid situation all over again. And the second thing, and I'm not saying that his agent, his agent, um, you know, said, "Hey, this is what I want y'all to do." But let's face it, Rich Paul has a lot of solid uh, clients, mm -hmm. right? I mean, he, you know, he's he's, he, LeBron's, he's guy. LeBron's guy. And whenever you watch a Cleveland Cavaliers game, you're seeing him sitting at on on you know on 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 the floor seats, um, you know, front row watching the game. And then he has a lot of other guys. You don't want to injure one of his players, right? Because what happens is it's like, okay, I gave you one. Right. You didn't take care of them. There's no way in the world that I'm going to deliver you uh, other ones. Right. So I think with that being said, and a lot of people say, well, does Ben Simmons have all the power? Well, 
Yes, now a lot of it. They have, <laughs> I mean, they do because it's like you know you don't want to mess him up. You don't want to break his foot. You don't want you know you, you don't want a lot of things like that to happen. You don't want the the, the agent to say, "Hey, I'm not dealing with you anymore." Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm just like like this is my I'm, I'm still stuck on this point guard thing because <laughs> uh, no, I mean it Matt like it's it's a. Uh, like if you but don't define what matters, if you, if yeah. you don't def- but um, what I'm saying it matters to define what we mean by point guard. Like take take Magic. So his first six years in the NBA, mm-hmm. Norm Norm Nixon started alongside mm-hmm. it. Right. Uh, Norm Nixon, point guard. Yes. Your classic classic point guard. Magic's line during those first six years was very similar to what it was the rest of his career. Do you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it, like it's almost like. Ben Simmons is almost Ben Simmons is just going to be Ben Simmons. It's a matter of who's going to play that other guard spot is more the question. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. like is Kyrie going like is the you know and Kyrie's not even a great example cuz he's he's a he's a scorer, right. you know. Um like a bit you know Harden uh, and Beverly. Harden and Beverly might be a better example. And that's the reason why they got Jared Bayless. That's the reason right. because you realize when the Greek freak, you know, Andrew and it's happy for Yeah, that dude, that dude. Just call him freak. Yeah. Yeah, it's a freak. But when he was playing point guard for those few games last season in, in Milwaukee, Jared Bayless was the off guard, right. who actually is a point guard by trade, but he's a shooting, kind of like a Patrick Beverly, a guy who shoots threes and a guy who defends. So that's why Harden and Beverly could work, and that's the reason why the Sixers went out there and, and got Jared Bayless because they felt like he's a point guard, but he could be more of a combo guard. He can defar- guard the other team's point guards for us. But then Ben could always kick it out to him, and he could create and make a sh- and make a three. Yeah, I. I it's going to be interesting to see. It so is. You, it is. So, so you think? Do you think they're going to go? And again, it all depends on where they pick. Uh, we're going to find and that how many out picks they get. in a couple weeks. Uh, March sixteenth. Is that right? Yeah. Are you going to be there? Chicago? Is that Chicago? Uh, May 16th. Yeah, no. You talk, you're talking about the, the May 6th, the lottery. Yeah, the lottery. Yeah, May 16th. Yeah, I'll be there. Is it in New York? It must be thrilling to cover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what do you just like Narducci, He goes in the room with the balls. Yeah. Like when it goes, yeah Whoa. He goes in, yeah, he yeah. Goes <laughs> I actually, you know what? I actually like covering it because you get a day in New York. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Right. You going this year? I want to. I'm going to lobby too. Plus, well, I'm spending more time with you, Keith. You might want to be a little more subtle about your intentions. No, I want to go. Rather than broadcasting about how you just want to trip to New York. I miss New York. (laughs) I want to go back to New York. Good thing. The good thing. Good news is our editors don't actually listen to this podcast, so that they'll have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, you got you got a healthcare meeting um, that you really need to get to. So So we're gonna let you go. But one 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 quick question. Who's decision? Whose decision is this? for Ben Simmons not to play summer league if that's what ends up happening? You know, I, I don't know. It's a tough one. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, a lot of people – I wish I had the answer. A lot of people are going to come out and say, you know, maybe it's his representation. Maybe it's Ben Simmons. You know, maybe it's the Sixers being, you know, cautious. You know, I, I, I really don't know. I mean, I wish I had the answer now. I can see where his representation would probably say, hey, we don't want him playing. You know, he played last year. You know, typically first overall picks don't play in it two years in a row. But this is a different circumstance. I mean, typically first overall picks don't miss their entire rookie season. You know, you typically don't. Now, again, I'm one of the people who 
I could care less if he plays it or not. I don't really think it's going to benefit him. And I, I now I know some people may say we get to see him dribble the ball up against, you know, summer league guys. But most of these dudes in the summer league are D leaguers yeah. at, yeah. at best. No, well, TJ McConnell is like an NBA player. He's just not a starter. But I'm saying but, like that's like your like ceiling. I mean, oh, well, that, yeah. summer league is built for the TJ McConnells of two years ago. Yeah, you know what two I'm saying? years ago, exactly. So you know, Ben Simmons, he'll go out there and he'll he may look like a superstar, and we're raving over him like, oh, they found the next the next magic. And then the regular season comes, and that's when it really smacks you in the mouth. You know, because you're playing against guys who are not on that level, and I'm pretty sure it's like him playing at on the B court at a pickup game, he's going to drop 50. Mm. So now I know some people are like Pompey. What are you talking about? You're an idiot. He needs to get out there and get. Some <laughs> I reps. say that all the time. Yeah, you do. But <laughs> I, you know, I'm not. I mean, it, 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 would it be best good for us to go out there and see it? Yeah, but at the same time, you know, I'm not tore up. See, the only it. reason it's a question on my mind is because the one day I happened to be there. Uh, towards the end of the season, somebody asked Brett Brown if he wanted Ben Simmons to play Summer League. And Brett Brown essentially said, yes, I want him to play Summer League, but it's not my call. So I, that's the only reason why mm-hmm. I even – I don't know if it helps or not, but if his coach you know, thinks it might be valuable – or maybe they asked, would it be valuable for him? I think – you know, Brett Brown didn't say no. It doesn't I mean, matter. It the doesn't- reason why I'm saying it could be the agent, it could be, is because you remember last year, people failed to realize – he almost didn't pay a summer league this year. You know, they had to get it. They had to negotiate his contract. Wow. You know, it was like 11th hour type thing. Like, you know, the team was in Utah. He flies into Utah, and they sign a contract, and then he shows up to practice the next <laughs> day. So, you know, but, again, that's what Rich Paul wants for all his clients. He wants all of them to be signed by the time they set on, on, a, on, on a court for summer league. So, you know. All right, man. Well, thanks right. for stopping by. Keith, right. thanks, Go find man. out about health care. All, right, All right. Thanks, fellas, for having me. You got it.